Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and to discuss with me the vast subject of childhood obesity I have Dr Tracy Burrows, Associate Professor, School of Health Sciences, University of Newcastle and an accredited practising dietitian with numerous awards and positions in this uh, subject. Welcome Tracy. Hi, thanks for having me. So Tracy, when did you first become interested and in why in childhood obesity? Yeah, so childhood obesity has been sort of a long-standing passion for me and originally I did start research in this area when I initially did my PhD nearly 10 years ago um, and this was really a highly passionate area for me because I know it's such a big issue and it's remained a strong interest since that time. Pardon the pun, right. That's okay. <laughs> so, so you actually, from what I can gather looking at Dr. Google, which is just the most wonderful thing. Um, yes. <laughs> in 2008, was that when you completed yeah. your PhD? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's okay. when I um, completed my PhD. And at right. that time, my PhD was really, um, it was a large nationally funded randomized control trial. Right. And it sounds quite straightforward, but at the time, it was the first time that it had actually ever been done in Australia. And what we did in that, um, my PhD, is we looked at whether a dietary intervention on its own or a physical activity intervention on its own or a combined group that received both diet and physical activity. And we wanted to know which one was actually more effective um, at treating childhood obesity for primary school age children. Just talk about the population that that was, that was uh, trialled on. We really were interested in primary school age children right. and the novelty of that intervention was really because at that particular age group, that parents are really involved in a lot of hands-on in terms of food provision. So mm -hmm. we really knew that um, children, you know, might be consuming a large proportion of their food in the household or if the food was being provided by the parents because after primary school, as I'm sure many people would um, agree, that children start to exhibit their own independence on what foods they're eating and they'll increasingly consume more foods outside the house. So the intervention that we did during my PhD was really, it was a parental intervention for the dietary components, which is my um, area, being a dietitian. And so the dietary information that we were giving as part of that program was targeted at parents. Okay, so, so we're talking was, five that, to 12-year-olds? Sorry. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yep. Yeah. And, and what was really interesting in that particular program is that um, we assessed it sort of in the short term. So we followed the children up at six months after the intervention. And we also followed them up longer term, which is quite novel in terms of research. So we followed them up at one year. And then we also followed them up at two years later. And what we found in that intervention was that it was the dietary groups that really tended to have the longer term weight maintenance in terms of their trajectory. So that was very um, novel and interesting for us at that particular time. And what do you attribute, what did you later probably attribute that to? There could have been a number of things that it could have been attributed to. Um, in terms of that, the, the dietary intervention was a parental only intervention. And so it was the parents that were going home to make the changes and talking about it with their children. Um, but I think overall, it was sort of like the lifelong parental kind of um, involvement that may mm. have been attributed to those um, successes. Mm. So... Yeah, it, it was um, because what we know from looking at the broader research is that many interventions for overweight and obesity exist for both parents or adults and children, but it's really that longer-term maintenance that's the really hard thing to achieve. So 
So many people might be familiar, including some of the listeners might be familiar with that very easy, or not easy, I shouldn't say easy, but it's um, somewhat easier to lose weight initially and get an initial weight loss, but it's actually harder to maintain those behaviour changes for a long period of time. And do you think that was educating people about the energy value, etc., of food? Is that what you end up doing? Yes, and I, and I think it's more creating a really positive relationship with food um, as a whole family approach rather than just targeting parents or targeting children in isolation. Right, so it's that holistic approach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. And, and so I guess mm. over, childhood overweight and obesity has continued to be a, um, a strong area of research for me and what we've done subsequently to doing that program is we've tried to take it, which was run in a university setting, and we've tried to translate that into community um, outlets um, to get it to people who can really benefit from that program. So we've, um, my team and I have um, translated it to after-school settings, um, to particularly for um, population groups that experience a greater burden of health or disease risk, so low-income and socioeconomic status groups, um, so that they can really benefit from what we found in that research study. And why did you target them? Is there a high incidence in that group of childhood obesity? Yeah, when we look at, um, I guess, both more comorbidity rates, so overweight and obesity, but also dietary practices as a whole, um, population groups such as um, Indigenous and low-income families, we know that their dietary profiles do look a little bit um, different to the general population. So they don't eat as much fruit and vegetables and they might have a higher intake of discretionary foods or junk foods and beverages than compared to the general population. So we felt like that that was a good um, way to get our program and translate it to a community that would benefit from it. And I guess that's one of the goals of a lot of the things that we do in the um, nutrition and dietetics team at the University of Newcastle is we'd like to develop a research study and work out how it's effective and what are the effective components and then translate it to an environment where it could be sustainable so that it has a longer-term benefit to the population of Australia. Mm, Yes, exactly, because the effect of that is an increased burden, isn't it, on health or the economy of health much further Mm. down the track as well? Yeah, I think in 2016, so... Last year, dietary intake was acknowledged as one of the single leading factors to the global burden of disease. So it's very Mm. um, important for us to consider dietary intake. And obviously, that's a passion. And combining that with overweight and obesity in children, Mm. it makes me very passionate about pursuing that area of research. Yes, definitely. You're listening to Wellbeing. And my guest today is Dr. Tracy Burrows. And we're discussing childhood obesity. Tracy, what uh, is obvious in that last statement is that we understand that it is a holistic approach to food. And I think that's another of your passions, another of your interests. Can you explain or flesh out there for us the psychology of eating food? That's a very interesting question. (laughs) Um, And it's quite a long answer, I guess. So I guess there's so many different aspects of and psychology of eating. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's very different for everybody. So I think some of the programs that we've um, put together in terms of overweight and obesity is really looking at, um, you know, what are the gaps 
and what are the reasons that people eat the way they do. And one of the things that usually comes um, about and is quite a common um, issue is that when we're thinking about childhood obesity specifically, we know that there's more parents um, more um, in the workforce so that family's time is very precious. And so we really need to think in terms of services about accommodating um, busy families so that um, what other ways can we treat or um, what other services can we provide? So one of the reasons that we're uh, moving towards delivering some of our services via telehealth is because we acknowledge that one of the factors that contribute to what people eat is that they are busy. There's limited time for food preparation and things like that. So food preparation or sourcing food? I think both. I think um, many families, like I've got two young children myself, and I know that when it comes to time, if you haven't kind of had a preconceived idea about what might be for dinner or what might be going into the lunchbox tomorrow, um, it's very easy to just reach for some of the things that are processed, that are already pre-packaged because it's much easier to use. So <clears throat> I think the fact that families are busier, it does influence their food choice. But when it comes to actual services, it also is limiting in the fact that they don't have time to go and find, for example, a dietitian to go and seek help to help improve the dietary intakes of their families. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about that lower socioeconomic group, does the mm -hmm. same apply? Yes, I think so. I think regardless, everybody would acknowledge that everyone's always busy. So um, <clears throat> that's one of the things why we've started to move some of our obesity interventions to online resources. So using things like telehealth so that you can actually deliver a consultation, which traditionally would be offered face-to-face -face, and, you know, a client would have to go to a particular venue to see a dietitian or a health practitioner. So we've been using some um, novel um, components of diet to actually deliver those via telehealth platforms. And that's somewhere where clinical services are starting to transition to move to deliver some of those interventions via telehealth because it takes away some of the also the limitations of geographic location. But in terms of the issue we were talking about being busy, you can offer these services at a time that might be more convenient for families so that they can access those services. Okay, so we're talking about both here uh, metropolitan parents uh, kids yes. and those in the remote rural sort of regions. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's important to acknowledge that for children or parents or um, where overweight or obesity may be a particular issue, there are actually very limited clinical services to actually treat um, or go and seek help to get a consultation with a dietitian at a local hospital. So really when it comes to services, for someone in the community who wants to seek some advice, their options are really going on a long, lengthy waiting list at one of the hospitals or paying, um, you know, sometimes often expensive consultation rates to go and see an allied health practitioner. So telehealth is starting to be used in clinical services and it's also starting to be used by um, private practitioners. But again, it helps. There might be an initial um, cost set up in terms of delivering it by telehealth, but the long-term benefits are, are actually much better. Mm. So today we're discussing childhood obesity and really what we're also talking about is a new area that's opening up, which is telehealth with Dr. Mm. Tracy Burrows. You're a, a practising dietitian still, a working mum. I think that gives you great accreditation as well. 
I absolutely, everything that we always talk to parents, I have a great appreciation and first-hand knowledge of what kind of works for a busy parent, yes. I can imagine, I can only imagine. (laughs) When we talk about, you know, access, that's one thing, but do we Mm -hmm. also need to talk about communication skills? So I noticed that in some of your research, you actually found that the most accurate person to record on what the intake of the child was, was the child themselves, not the parent. (laughs) and not a guardian or or teacher, et cetera. That was pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah, so that's another area of research that I'm very interested in, and that is um, assessing dietary intake because really that's one of the first kind of things that we really need to um, establish to then work out what is actually going to work to improve the dietary intakes for anybody. So assessing dietary intake, because I'm sure many of you, including myself, if someone asked me what I ate yesterday, I'm sure I would forget many things and sometimes may not want to admit things that I did eat or consume yesterday. So there is a sort of art and science to assessing dietary intake in anybody, but particularly for children, because we know that, you know, they're still developing cognitively. So one of the research studies that you're mentioning is when we wanted to know who could actually report dietary intake accurately. And often when it comes to clinical practice, when we're talking to parents or we're talking about children's dietary intake, we would often ask the parent, so can you tell me a little bit about what your child was consuming? But there comes a point in time, particularly around the ages between 8 and 12, where you know children really start to actually can accurately recall. And I wanted to know in that particular research study who was the most accurate at reporting dietary intake. So we independently assessed the mother and the father and also the child. And what it turned out was that actually the dad and the child were better or more accurate reporting dietary intake than the mother. And so that has a real clinical implication because that's who, you know, in practice, most people would get to report on dietary intake for children. So that's really important that, you know, when you're talking and assessing dietary intake, you really need to let the children have a little bit to say about what things they like and what things they don't like to accommodate those um, kind of preferences or dislikes. Um, in conjunction with what the parent is actually thinking as well. Mm. So mum might have some good ideas and be attempting to enforce them or or bring them about, Mm. but uh, it really depends on what the child and dad are thinking, believing, wanting to do. Yeah, and I guess it goes back to the point that we were talking about earlier about holistically thinking about dietary intake and why someone eats the way that they do or Mm. what choices they are actually making. So it's really thinking about holistically in a family context what's going to work. So it can't be, well, this person eats this and this person eats that because for busy families that's not really going to work. So it's thinking holistically about what is actually going to work in that particular instance and, again, from a dietary intake perspective as well. And what do you find actually works? I don't think I have that answer yet. (laughs) Um, But but I do think... um, First and foremost, you know, like accurately capturing what someone's actually consuming on, um, you know, over a period of time because what everyone eats day to day does change. And I think actually being honest with yourself about what you or your child is actually consuming, that's the first part because sometimes I think, you know, particularly when we're talking around the issues of overweight and obesity, you know, if we look at some of the statistics that around... I think for Australia, around 60% of Australian adults and around 25% of Australian children are overweight or obese. 
everyone's so accustomed to those statistics now because they're mm. commonly reported, but we also see overweight and obesity every day in lots of individuals that I think we're not very good at recognising when we actually need to go and get help. Yes, Because agree. we're so um, used to seeing, and I think sometimes, like if I think, you know, for some of our research studies, you know, it might be common that someone might call up and think, oh, well, I think my child might, I'd really like them to participate in a research study, but I'm not really sure whether they'd be quite suitable or how much they weigh or where they kind of sit. And then when they come in and we assess them and we find that they're actually not just a little bit overweight, but a lot overweight. And I think that that's sometimes quite challenging from a parental perspective to have that. Because, I mean, as a mother myself, I know when my children were quite small, it's very, you know, you're very on top of tracking length and growth because you want to make sure that they're feeding appropriately. But when they start to enter primary school, there becomes a disengagement of tracking, you know, how much they weigh or how tall they are or what their BMI is. So I think that social perception around overweight and obesity also complicates things in terms of knowing when to go and seek help. Mm. As a society in general, we're becoming heavier. Is that the case? Oh, absolutely. And I think mm. that that because we're so accustomed to it, like even myself yeah. sometimes I Habituated, think, oh, well, you yeah. Know, yeah, and you find yourself and then it's not until you actually put the numbers on a piece of paper and work out someone mm. specifically against some recommended guidelines that you think, wow, that's actually more than what I thought it would have been. So even myself as a health practitioner, because I'm so used to as a society seeing lots of individuals who are overweight or obese, um, then, you know, you, you, I guess maybe you could relate to that yourself, you know, like you, everyone sees it every day, so mm. therefore it becomes the normal. Oh, definitely, absolutely. That's yeah. the whole point. But what is wrong with us saying, okay, it's normal to be overweight and obese? Yeah, so I think that really comes down to that overweight and obesity is a massive risk factor for so many other comorbidities. So diabetes, cardiovascular disease, heart conditions, like it's a, one of the primary risk factors for so many other burdens of disease. Yes. So I think that, and it's not usually until something like that happens that you then actually look at overweight and obesity as one of the initial issues. I think there's some interesting data in Australia where it looks at how many um, individuals, particularly children, are actually treated by their GPs um, mm, for I overweight bet. and obesity. And it's actually a very, very, very minute percentage of people who are going to their health practitioner mm. for assistance for overweight and obesity because they're being treated for their primary condition. So it might be being treated for diabetes or it might be being treated for asthma, but they mm. don't actually receive treatment for overweight and obesity. Mm. As a GP, I think it would be really lovely if we had um, a chart to work out BMI really quickly and accurately rather than have to sort of fish through the internet and figure mm. something out and just, you know, okay, BMI over this, let's consider and perhaps one of the internet resources that you're talking about um, mm. so that they can start to understand, I guess, and make some choices. Yeah, and I think so one of the things that we have done in terms of research is that we actually did, I think it was um, a year or so ago now, is that we actually did do a, um, a big survey, um, an online survey. So it captured people both in the Hunter region where I'm located, but also broader than that across Australia about what parents really wanted to help them improve the dietary intakes of their children. And so we've used that information that they did want something that was online and some of the components are specifically about diet, about what they wanted. And we've now created a new online resource um, that includes a whole range of different technology mediums that includes both a web platform, 
some telehealth consultations, um, also text messages to keep support engagement and also some social media around Facebook to create a um, program or an intervention that parents told us what they wanted. So we're currently trialling that at the moment and particularly um, because it does use telehealth, so it's not limited by location, we're extending that out to trial this program in rural locations such as Tamworth and Armadale. So you're combining it with face-to-face or, I'm yes. sorry? Yes, that's right. right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we know that people, like we know that parents really like, um, I guess they what they said, told us in the um, results of that survey that we did, that they were really interested in online because they were busy. So that meant they could access resources when they wanted it. And by doing it via telehealth, they might be more engaged to um, participate or be able to attend those appointments because they don't have to take time off work or they don't have to pick their child up early from school. So we've got an online intervention and it combines a whole range of different things. So our web platform includes like lots of healthy recipes, but how to actually do them. So because cooking skills, again, is something that we've identified that can um, be a barrier sometimes to eating healthily. So this online intervention really, it has a whole range of different um, e-health kind of components. So the web platform, telehealth consultations, so people can access a face-to-face consultation via the internet from their home computer or from a mobile, and they can talk with a dietitian. And in some of the groups that we have in that current study, we'll receive some text messages to support and engage them in making some of those behaviour changes. Um, so, yeah, so that's our current research study that's um, very interesting, I think, in terms of to see um, what uptake we have and also the, how effective it actually can be. So, Tracy, a couple of things come to mind. What would be the cost for this to the consumer? When we're running it as part of a research study, um, actually because we're just trialling this intervention to see if it is effective or what components are effective, there actually isn't any cost involved in um, being part of our study. Mm-hmm. I think if it, if it was translated later on, which is one of our, um, I guess, visions to be mm-hmm. able to translate this, um, as I mentioned with some of our other programs, the cost initially is really just the setup of the um, platform itself. Um, but once it's set up, then you only need to access that particular um, that resource. So I guess it really does involve just having ready access to the internet really but when we look at internet statistics and um, usage in Australia we know that a large proportion of um, individuals do actually readily access the internet whether that be from a home computer or a mobile phone and interestingly enough the internet usage it's not limited or restricted to any population group so when we mention earlier about low socioeconomic Mm -hmm. families or indigenous families they actually all have access to the internet. So providing some um, resources Mm. via this means may actually help us access and reach those population groups better. Mm, Yeah, invariably there's always mobile phones and little satellite dishes even in the poorest parts of the world in general. Yeah, and and, but even thinking, you know, in terms of how many people in Australia actually own a mobile phone and actually have access to the internet, it is something that cuts across all population groups. So we're hoping that using this intervention in this regard will actually help help with that. And is it, um, oh, I suppose it's early days, you're not 100% sure, but hopefully it's kind of fun as well. I mean, you've done pilots to say that it's, you know, engaging. Yes, yes, that's right. So we're currently actually 
um, recruiting people um, or individuals and families to take part in our research study. Mm-hmm. So they can be both from the Hunter region and mm-hmm. also from Tamworth and Armadale to participate in this research study. Um, so if anybody's listening or would like to take part, by all means, they can um, make contact with one of us or the research team um, because we really need, obviously, the families to partake in it to tell us if they find it um, useful and effective and things like that. So how do they do that? How do they go about that? We have a website or we have a an email address that families can contact. Mm-hmm. If you want to make contact, it's... Um, b2bfamily at newcastle.edu.au. So that's B, Um, B, the letter B. Letter B, number two, letter B, family at newcastle.edu.au. At newcastle.edu.au. And if they have any problems with that, they can always um, contact my number, which is um, 0249 21514. If, if um, the email address doesn't work or you haven't heard back or anything like that, that's more than I'm more than happy to pass on some information or put you in contact with the people that can help you. Okay, so if you could just repeat that number again for us. Yeah, sure. It's 02 yes. 49 yes. 21 yes. 5514. And at the moment, there's, there's that restricted area, but what we're hoping is that in future that'll be a good resource for people I guess a little bit of the problem will be that people will want it for other dietary uh, resources. What information would you prefer to have? So we're really interested in individuals who really just want to improve the dietary intake of their family and Mm -hmm. targeting the child in particular. So I think if you're a little, like if you're a little bit concerned, it is general information and it is related um, to some extent around weight status. So it doesn't specifically, it's not designed to specifically answer a specific question for your specific child, exactly. for example, because yes. there's a lot of range of different, you know. So, But it does deal with lots of interesting issues that are common for individuals like fussy eating and how to improve vegetable intake or where do I find credible information or where does yes. my child sit? Like as you mentioned before, where do they sit in relation to guidelines around weight status and things like that? Is there a general website that discusses that for parents? Um, so currently at the moment, that's a limitation to what, that's one of the reasons that we have built a web platform. Right. Um, we do, um, this Back to Basics family that we're talking about, which is the online intervention, has, um, I guess, um, evolved, like I said, from a number of other programs that we've done as part of our um, program of research around overweight and obesity. And I, there is another program called Back to Basic Family. And if individuals, and I think the URL for that is Cooking Matters Australia, and that does provide a website um, that does have some information on there. And that's from our team as well. So that does have a little bit of information around some healthy eating you know, tips and guidelines for parents and for children. Because mm, it is hard sometimes to get that very basic information. There's a lot of uh, commercial information out there, for want of a better word. Yeah, and, and, and that was one of the other reasons as to why we chose to build it, um, build a purpose-built web platform with credible information yes. that has been endorsed by health practitioners. Because I think, like you said at the beginning of the show, going to Dr. Google can sometimes be a very um, hard thing to navigate and Definitely. to know what information is real and not real or which one can I believe and not believe. Yes. So that was really one of the rationales as to why we actually built this purpose-built platform and while we're trialling it in terms of 
what resources do parents find useful, what do children find useful, all those particular types of things. So we are very interested to get individuals and families to participate in our research study. To improve the resources. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can tell by looking at your information just from Newcastle University that you have a huge experience in this uh, subject, both personally and from you sitting on various boards and things internationally. So I think that, that that advice would be really valuable for people and give a lot of perspective. So I thank you very much for your time. No problem whatsoever. And I think it's just really important to acknowledge, you know, all of the um, research team, but also the people who help us or enable us to do and create these resources, such mm. as the NIB Foundation and things like that, who have really helped us get this project and these services for families who we know really want this information to make it possible. Mm, building a better community. So Absolutely. I've, I've been speaking with Dr Tracy Burrows, Associate Professor, Health Sciences, University of Newcastle, and an expert on childhood obesity. I'm Dr Virginia Reid, and all of us here at Wellbeing wish you well.